This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And The Cage, the original pilot for the original series, has been on the talk of many Trek fans recently because Star Trek Discovery has revisited and uh, had kind of a pseudo-sequel to it. And uh, you know, we'll save that conversation among ourselves for another time. Uh, but hey, turn on... To the Edge, also here on Trek FM, and hear what they have to say about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. But we thought it'd be fun to talk about the original pilot for the original series, The Cage, because we hadn't done that. At least the three of us haven't. And, you know, just talk about that episode itself. Now the Menagerie, the two-parter from the original series season one. Now, The Cage was actually called The Menagerie originally, but then when they came out with The Menagerie two-parter, they retitled it to The Cage. So there you have it. So The Cage is the original pilot for the original series. If you want all the background information on how it came together and why it didn't become Star Trek and those kinds of things, there's a couple books I recommend everybody go check out, Inside Star Trek by Robert Justman and Herbert Solo. That's a great book. It is a great book. And also These Are the Voyages by Mark Cushman, Volume 1, talks about the uh, inception of the original series. So so those are my two go-tos as far as the the behind-the-scenes of Star Trek. We're not going to go on the minutia right now. We're going to talk about the cage, just the episode itself. This is pure Roddenberry, right? This is is his initial inception for what Star Trek was going to be. That's what he gave to NBC. They turned it down. But they redid the pilot with Where No Man Has Gone Before, and then we got the Star Trek we know. But I'll just ask you guys right now, do you like the cage? Would you have watched a series based off these cast of characters on the Enterprise? Haley, let's start with you. Yes. Yes, I like the episode, and I would have watched it. It would have been really interesting to see this captain who doesn't know if he wants to be a captain anymore. He's he's tired of being responsible for all these lives. Um, I think it could have taken a very different approach, but I would have watched it. Kim, what about you? I think so. I, I, I like science fiction in general. I like things in outer space that were happening. So even before I became really hooked on Star Trek, just that whole notion that genre was appealing to me. 
The episode itself, though, I have to be honest, because I didn't see it up front. You know, I saw it as the two-parter that we all know was the Menagerie. I never saw it on its own until many, many years after I got into Star Trek. I don't even know if it was available for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it, it right? didn't when come it out until the late 80s. Uh, Rod, Rod, 88. Yeah, Roddenberry used to go toured around at, like, conventions and stuff, but... Uh, during the writer strike of Next Gen, and there was nothing to show. They they had a, they had a, a TV special uh, hosted by Patrick Stewart about Star Trek, and that's when they aired the Cage for the first time on television, just by itself without the framing device of the Menagerie. And that must have been the first time I saw it. And you know, because of the knowledge and the history, especially interviews with William Shatner, the discussions that the uh, the network found it to be so cerebral that you know I probably had that in my head. So when it came on. I was like, yeah, you know, it's 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 not as dull or, or as down. I guess one of the things that I, you have to be careful with with any new episode of any new show, and I think TNG is a great example. I think Discovery to an to an, to a degree, and others, you know, it it didn't it it, it didn't launch it with a uh, um, you know a huge fanfare. It, it was a a thinking person show. There's no doubt about it. But it would have eventually evolved. I mean, just like all casts do. You, if you judge one show by the, uh, the the original episode, and you see where they come five, six, seven episodes later, it's usually a very different show. So I I don't know if it would have necessarily been on this kind of bland and and this downtrodden uh, Captain Pike because that's just where he was because of the circumstance, and it was very very current. You know, it wasn't like. Uh, years and years of terrible things happening and he was PTSD. He just went through a, a horrific experience. So yeah, I, I mean, for the show itself, uh, yeah, I did like the show. It was, it was, it was uh, interesting to see the characters without any kind of framing to it and just being Captain Pike's ship. I did like that a lot. I thought that, I hate to say it, I thought the captain was a bit wimpy. <laughs> I don't like wimpy captains. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're, you're, you're a captain of a starship in doing something that's inherently very, very high risk. So I do realize, you know, bad things can happen, but I thought it was a little over the top in that, in that, 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 that piece. But yeah, overall, I, I would have watched the show because I think it would have caught up to itself and it would have, it would have lightened up. I, I wouldn't expect a heavy, dark show like that, not that it was that heavy, uh, to continue for three, four, five years. Well, I'm going to go back to something you both mentioned. It was Captain Pike and how he was kind of questioning himself as a captain and, you know, a little down about the, their last mission, you know. And since that's just the small sample size we had of Captain Pike for all these years, that's like the defining characteristic of him. And it's interesting uh, that, you know, you look at TOS, their episodes where bad stuff happens and, 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 and it's an episodic show. And who's to say, right, in episode two, that Captain Pike is not like just, okay, I'm a captain, da 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 right? And you can look at it as being episodic, or you can look at it as it being he's been kind of rejuvenated and, and got a refresher from this experience from in the cage, you know, even at the end of the episode, him the doctor talking about that. Who knows, right? So so then, you know, we, we, we go to see what that is, at least Star Trek Discovery's interpretation of that, you know, 50 years later. But if you're in the moment in, you know, 1965, right, if, if, if they, the cage sold and went on NBC, who's to say what episodes two, three, four would have been? And also, you know, and I like pointing this out, if you look at the very early episodes of the original series, you could just cross out Kirk and write Pike and he, you know, the first dozen episodes would probably still match because other than maybe like the enemy within or something like that, you know, where it's just, it's just full on Shatner and he just like took over that episode with his personality. 
Uh, he's just very serious. He's very reserved. Like even like the man trap and stuff like that. He's like, I lost a man. Right. He's very concerned about officers dying and, and, and that kind of thing. And that's, that kind of reminds me of the same thing. Cause you got to think in a Roddenberry, he had this idea of what a captain would be. And then it's very smart. He, he changed. If he hadn't done this, they could, the, he could never use the cage of the menagerie later, but he was like, okay, they want new characters, new, I can't get Jeffrey Hunter back all these things. I'm going to write a new captain. But he just wrote him the same way he would wrote Christopher Pike, in my opinion. But uh, uh, and you know, he being the first season, especially, he would rewrite a lot of writer scripts. So he was the final say on on pretty much all of all of the stories and dialogue. Uh, but yeah, I, I would have watched it too, obviously, because it's sci-fi. And then you know, like you said, Ken, it's a thinking person show, right? So there wasn't a lot of you know high concept sci-fi back in the day. So I think it would have found an audience, but. Jeffrey Hunter, you know, I've only seen him a couple of the things. He's he's a good leading man, but he is more subdued. Leonard Nimoy has talked about this in interviews as well, and I agree with him in the fact that I don't think, even though we all might have watched it because they're all prone to watching this kind of stuff, I, I don't think Star Trek would have caught on the way it did without, one, the, the dynamic energy of William Shatner and what he brought to it, and then because of that, you know, him and Spock and their dynamic, and then you throw in McCoy as well, and that really became the heart of Star Trek because if you looked at this show... You'd have Captain Pike, and he's kind of reserved. And then number one, who is the Spock kind of character, is also very logical. So she would have been the Spock. And then Spock, would Spock have been the third? Because when they're both off the ship, he does kind of become the captain. So I guess they would have been the three. But then Spock would have been smiling and shouting, Mr. Spock here! So what, what, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on, like, like if this was... If this was your your core three, would, you know, in the, uh, would Star Trek have caught on with people the way it did? In the real timeline, so to speak. <laughs> I think so. Um, but again, that, I think that's just, that's my perspective because I appreciate those characters. I like them. I very much wanted to have more time with those characters. I think, um, I think Nimoy would have still evolved Spock and we probably would have gotten what we have. Um, but it would have been nice to have seen the other characters flash out and, and I think those three would have been the core three instead, but um, Doctor Boyce would also be in there. That's true. Yeah. On occasion too, and I I liked I liked him as well. And he was, and you know, much like I was talking about early Kirk was Pike. I mean, Doctor Boyce is Doctor McCoy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the same yes. guy, the same the same character basically. What about you, Ken? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it would have been a very different show because it it wasn't just changing. Um, the, uh, the switching captains from Pike to Kirk or, or the cast, if if you look at where No Man Has Gone Before, right off the bat, the chemistry on the bridge was a lot lighter. The um, the folks were a little... It was still a military operation, so to speak. He's, you know, he's, but there, there's, there was a casualness um, that that you could really feel change from, episode, from the pilot episode to what became the, the next pilot episode. And, uh, and and I, I think that you – know, because you, I understand the man trap was broadcast first. But if you go right from the the pilot to where no man has gone before, a lot of the aesthetics were the same. It was a little brighter. Spock was pretty much the same. I mean, he wasn't quite as shouty, but it was, you know, <laughs> he still had that – still hadn't quite found himself. So you're right, Haley. I agree. He would have he would have, he would have uh, evolved in time. And I think with – Number one, uh, you know, she she was kind of a stoic character. So I, I guess the risk of them becoming the top three would have been that they wouldn't have the chemistry that the next uh, group would have had. Just because, you know, Spock can't be McCoy, 
uh, number one was really Spock. And, and I mean, you know, to me, I think there was, you know, we say, you know, we talk about the episode itself, but it's, it's hard to get away from the history. And the history kind of shows that, um, you know, the network and a lot of people just weren't happy with uh, Major Barrett in that role because of her relationship with Gene Roddenberry. And that wasn't fair to her, but th there was a stigma there. So I, I think that, uh, you know, whether she would have been the best actress or not, I don't know. We didn't really see her acting chops until The Next Generation. I, mean, I had no idea that she was that talented an actress, to be honest with you. She, she had a lot of personality. So I, I think that um, it would have been okay, but I think it would have been much drier. I don't know if we would have had the, the, the little clarinet music at the end of most episodes with that little, you know, ha-ha banter at the end of it. I, I, I would have a tougher time seeing that three make that happen. In, in my opinion. I don't know, Haley. I mean, you feel similarly or what are your thoughts there? I can see that it probably wouldn't have been the humor, but this is all, you know, looking at things through hindsight bias. You know, we, we have, of course. we have TOS how we have it and, and trying to figure out how, how these characters could have evolved, how they would have changed with the writing with them over time it could have had those lighter moments. I, I think we would have had them. I like that number one is the stoic one in this rather than being the lighthearted kind of character. And I think that's really refreshing for writing for women at that time to have this this female character kind of be that headstrong, um, not flighty kind of, kind of thing. I mean, we get the contrast between number one and um, the yeoman, who is a little more written more effeminately. And, but I like that. I like that she is that woman in the boys' club, but treated like one of the boys. To me, it's interesting that they had to make that character a male alien to make it work versus the just leaving her, right? Uh, and let's take, let's take Majel out of it. Uh, I, I agree with you uh, because it was a very different role. And uh, I, I think if my, my guess is if, if, if that relationship didn't exist, I think it would have been considered, it would have been more, it, it would have been validated. I think in a lot of the, um, uh, the upper echelons of NBC and Desilu, I, I, that, that's my thought just from reading those books, especially um, inside Star Trek. It was, it just didn't come off well. And that, like, again, that's not her fault, but that's what happened. And, and so if it was another actress with, there was no anything, no, no bias, no nothing, then I think that character probably might have survived and, um, and, and could have still been in that number one role, which I think for its time would have been amazing because when that didn't happen, you really didn't have a strong female officer in you know a in a position where they 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 can take the con and they could drive it i mean yes having an african-american woman on the bridge and all that stuff for its time was amazing and who doesn't love nichelle nichols but she was never put into that much of a power structure i mean she was an officer and all that stuff but she was a junior officer there was there was no strong um woman in the in the top three or four ranks you know and that's 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 unfortunate yeah, I mean, when they leave the ship, Pike even calls her the most experienced officer they have. You know, he's like, we got to leave her. You here on the ship. So, uh, and, you know, you look at where No Man Has Gone Before, the next pilot, Nichelle Nichols, Uhura's not even in that. So who would have been the strong female character? I mean, you had 
uh, Dr. Dr. Dinner, but then she gets killed off, right? So it's like, uh, we have another yeoman, right? But that's not the same thing. So uh, it's interesting the evolution it took to get from, you know, the steps to get to where we got in the original series. And, and But that's the thing, though. It's, it's just so interesting to think about. If you keep number one, and I assume she would have got a name at some point if she was the main character. Uh, but it's, it's, it's now it's like, we don't even want her to have a name now. It's like, oh, no, do we give her a name? Do we not? That's like the debate now. I mean, I know there's novels and comic books that have given her names and stuff. I'm very curious to see what Discovery does with her when she inevitably reappears. But anyway, Spock would have been totally different because you couldn't have the logical Spock and then the logical number one. I get, And so I wonder if, if, if Spock's appeal would have been the same if he would because so much of his appeal was was his kind of logic and his deal with emotions and all that stuff and i think you take that away from spock is he just a goofy looking alien guy i don't know Haley, what are your thoughts i think it would have worked that you could have had both of them kind of have that logic role i mean spock has the smarts you know spock is the the book smarts to this side and then i think you would have number one who is the street smarts she she is stoic and she she thinks logically, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Spock couldn't also be that as well. He wouldn't have been able to have that the same Spock that we see. I think um, I think it would have worked just because you could say, OK, well, I can have number one go down rather than Spock go down because number one has these street smarts and that's what this away mission is calling for or, you know, Spock's got the book smarts, what's going on, kind of, you know, problem solving from both perspectives. I think I think it would have worked still. It would have been dry though. Yeah, it would have been dry. And I guess part of that is I like I like British shows, so I kinda like that drier humor, so I guess that's why it would have worked for me. So Well, I, I would assume they would have given Spock more like more personality, more more like one liners or stuff like that, because if he's like gonna be the the alien guy, he'll have the interesting stuff to say, and they would play more to that. And I think Nimoy could have totally done it. We've seen all the episodes we even talked about recently, right, where he, Spock has emotions, and or he's possessed by something or whatever, and he can totally, he was a great actor, he could totally pull it off. So uh, that would have just been a very, it had been a very different original series with those three. Uh, and, you know, Dr. Boyce would have been Dr. McCoy, like we said. And, and, uh, and beyond that, it's like you have uh, Jose Tyler, who I find it's his name is very that's the whitest Jose Tyler I've ever seen in my life sitting up there next to number one at the at the at Chekhov's eventual station. I mean, other than him, he's the only other character I even really remember who is a crew member on, on the show. Yeah. And we, I mean, there's no chief engineer, there's no because we not, not no engineering set. You know, there's no transporter operator. I did like how we have like two people. Like the transporter really seemed like okay, this is a very complicated thing. We got technicians here running it. That one guy had glasses on. I kind of found that amusing. Uh, that would that would concern me. It's like, hey man, you're the transporter guy. That's a good eyesight. What's going on here? He's allergic to retinox. Yeah, <laughs> allergic to retinox. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, so there's really not much to extrapolate from or what else other than the big three. You know, Pike number one and. And Spock and uh, and yeah, I think you know Jeffrey Hunter. Again, I've seen him in a few things. He's a great actor. I just I just don't know if he had the energy and the magnetism that William Shatner. But who does, right? It's kind of an unfair <laughs> unfair comparison. Well, it, it is. It is funny. Was it well, Jack Lord was considered for the role, right? And uh, you think of Hawaii Five. Well, that's a big personality in, in many ways. I mean, he was he was a bit understated, but he was he had such a presence about him. You know, and and Jeffrey Hunter, you know, he, obviously he had a, a pretty one more big role, and 
And I think he died fairly young, didn't he? I, I want to say. He he died in 1969. So he died right around the time Star Trek went off the air, which is kind of it's eerie to me how, the, how he's connected that way. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, the show, it's, if, if I look back and I, and I think about the dynamics and the questions that you were asking, could it survive? Is it watchable? All those things. I still go back and say it was a really good episode. And it would have been fun to see what they do with those characters. And the assumption is that the same shows that we saw with William Shatner and DeForest Kelly were the same episodes they would have written for these folks. And it just, to me, it would be very fascinating to see how it would have played out, you know, with, 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 with two kind of stoic, you know, a, a Spock that is ill-defined. But, you know, we do know how Leonard Nimoy sharpened the role, got control of the role, and... And, and drove a lot of it himself. So I think you would have seen the Spock evolution continue. That would have been my guess. Yeah, so beyond beyond the cast and crew, right? I, I really like the aesthetic of this Enterprise, you know, of, of mm-hmm, you have, you, obviously you have the cage, you have Norma has gone before, and you have the original series proper, right? And th- they all have three very distinctive aesthetics. But this one, it's very, the muted colors, you know, like the blues yep. and grays. Like it, it seemed just like a more professional military environment than what we got in TOS. And I know they were trying to sell color TV sets, and I know all that. But you know, if you could just mix this with this is a great middle ground, like between say original series and motion picture. You know, is that this cage era That's aesthetic? Right. What did you guys think about that? I like the softer colors. It's not, you know, they go down on on Talos. It's not super bright. And shiny and some purple or red sky or something. <laughs> green. Yeah, that, that weird green color. I, I like the way. And it would have been nice to have seen that carry over for a little bit longer and then maybe morph into rather than the leap that we get. Because like you said, it would it flows well with the, what we see in the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I I agree with both of you. Um, I like the aesthetic. I like the uniforms better. I agree. These are my favorite. These are my favorite uniforms of the original series. So. Well, and you get the away jacket, right? Yes. They have yes, the jacket. Pr- I mean, come practical. on. It, it yeah. is cold in space. You would think that you would probably want to take a jacket. No, there was there was a lot of practical things that that went on in that in that original episode. So as so I said, the uniform they, they did need to fix the rank insignia though because it made no sense. <laughs> Two bars, one bar, or no bars. It's like who who are you? Which yeah, rank yeah. again? So. I, I don't know why it was. Yeah, I'm not sure why it was so subtle. I still don't even understand why, you know, even even in the precursors and, and Enterprise and everything else and, in you know, throughout nautical history, a captain, you know, four stripes, why they made uh, a captain's rank into lieutenant commander rank on the original series, you know, because that's really what they did. It didn't make any sense. I, that was probably one of the sillier things. It's just like, just be consistent. That way, anybody watching would understand what they're doing. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I digress. The... Um, the original, the I, I thought the the cage, uh, the look of the ship. I agree with you. It's more practical. Uh, it's easy to upkeep. Um, it makes sense as far as it keeping in in kind of gray tones and things. Um, it felt much more um, like a workable craft uh, than the than the other ship. The other ships when they when they changed the sets and they made it real brighter. Uh, and to your point, Zach, I know about the whole color TV thing or whatnot. I guess, you know, you could almost take, because when you look at that show, or especially when you're watching The Menagerie, uh, and, and you look back between the two, because then you can see it, you know, side by side, um, you realize that 
just with the colors, with the new cast, the whole show became so much lighter. And I don't, you know, both literally and uh, as far as the way they, they, they interacted, it, it did change the whole show dynamic. So you went from kind of a dark gray, sullen glum, you know, and, and then everything kind of went to, you know, hey, everything's brighter, we're a little bit lighter, you know, and, and of course, you know, with, with, uh, with Shatner's humor, it changed the, the dynamic. But I like the seriousness uh, and the drama and that whole episode. I thought it was really, really good and would have preferred that they stayed with that aesthetic. I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, we didn't get to see that much in the Enterprise. Obviously, it's one episode. But we see, you know, we see the bridge, we see some hallways, we see the briefing room and the transporter room, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, my one issue with that is the angled walls when walking through the hallways. I'm sorry, I would probably run into that. <laughs> the angled archway. <laughs> yeah, but you know that happens on ships all the time. <laughs> I, I would like whack just the edge of it every single time, I guarantee you. I'm like so I do like that we have that's gone when we when we do have the <laughs> next one. So I'm like that cause that angles. I'm just like, nah, I can see people hitting that. There's no way like if you're like, move, everybody move, I gotta run and get down somewhere in an emergency situation, someone's gonna get whacked by the wall. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of that scene, I thought it was funny you got these people this couple just walking by and they just Pike has like to squeeze by. I'm like, "Hey, this, that's like like captain of your ship." You're like, I don't you don't need like a stop and salute, but maybe give them a, a acknowledge this is the captain of your ship you're walking by here, people. I just find that amusing last time I watched it. That's yeah, that the outfits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Carter. I was like, "What is what are they going to the beach? You know, where are these people going?" <laughs> it was really strange. The whole thing. Um, But uh, I agree. You know, I I always try to look at it from real world to, you know, this this outer space. And so in my my headcanon, you know, everything was narrower so that they could close the the hallways off in case of a hull breach or something faster. Because you want things to be narrower, not wider on a ship. And it's the same thing with the floors. You know, you kind of have these decks with uh, when you're going through a hatch. And and I'll tell you that... um, Everybody uh, in the fleet, when they first get out to sea, uh, wax their shins and wax their heads a hundred times. I do have a funny story I, I can share now or later of how I actually knocked myself unconscious uh, on a ship. <laughs> so, yeah, that stuff happens. It can happen to the best of us. It happened to Scotty in Star Trek V. Happened to our senior chief here himself. So happened to me. It happened to me. Yes, <laughs> it certainly did. Well, well, tell us now, Ken. I'll tell you now. So I was... Um, a young sailor and we were flown out to a frigate off of new england and um it was i was the most junior guy that was part of this team that was going on to do we what we were doing was we were we were out with a fleet and we were doing an exercise with a submarine and we were monitoring the communications amongst our own fleet to see if they were staying within the call signs talking you know not not breaching anything so there was always back then soviet trawlers listening so we were kind of the team to make sure everybody was doing the right thing. Of course, we get out there. It's brutally rough water. Um, and I was the junior guy, so I had the mid-watch. So I, I have the mid-watch. I'm, I'm up all night in this little room. There's basically no traffic. And the ship is just pitching or whatever. There's cable swaying. I was miserable. I didn't get sick, but I was miserable. And when they came in to relieve me in the morning, my buddy's like, uh, let's get you some air. I said, good idea. Got some air. Got some breakfast. Still wasn't feeling well. And then went to hit the rack. 
my, it's my first time aboard ship, by the way. So I'm 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 skimming every knee I can. My my shins just just walking around, pitching up through the decks, and they put me in a top bunk. So I, um, you know, I laid down to to sleep during the you know whatever time it was ten or eleven in the morning, because I had mid watch again or the or the midnight shift, and um, they went to battle stations. So apparently, what happened was my guess is you only have maybe, I don't know. 12 inches above your head before all those pipes and things. So I was in a deep sleep. So when they went, when the, when the, when the klaxon sound or whatever, I must've jumped up real fast, knocked myself out. Uh, the next thing I, I remember, I don't even remember that, but what I do remember is people coming up to my rack. They found me. I had a big bump, like an egg on my head. They, I'm in, I'm literally like they're, they're grabbing my uniform and they're carrying me I'm in my, you know, my T-shirt, my skivvies, <laughs> down the tech way back to the communications, down to the comm sack, and they, they put a mat down on the floor for me. Um, they still didn't allow me much dignity. I'm laying there in my underwear um, and, while they're getting a compress from my head, and they're because what happens is when you report to battle stations, uh, you know, they report manned and ready across all the things. Well, radio wasn't manned and ready because you know, seaman trip knocked himself <laughs> up. <laughs> Went to they went to battle stations. So anyway, that's my story. That was my uh, one of my indoctrinations uh, as a young kid on a ship. So yeah, it's a hazardous environment. Wow. Yeah. So the whole world knows I'm very humble, um, but yeah, things happen. So yeah, I am no better than Scotty. I am Star Trek Five. Right. So, <laughs> you knew that ship like the back of your hand, right? Speaking of you know, the cage versus the menagerie, it's very interesting to me, as you say, Ken. You can you can see it in the menagerie, like the difference between that you know the, just the, the ship and everything, and and in universe, it took place uh, thirteen years before the menagerie, the cage mm-hmm. did. That's right. So they're watching they're watching something that took place in in the universe thirteen years in the past, when in reality it was filmed just two years before, right? But it really does feel a lot longer ago than that. Like even Spock, just even his makeup, Leonard Nimoy looks so young, and it, it's crazy to, to to think that it was like just two short years earlier. That was that they're sitting on the same sets they're watching right now, and, and that just added so much weight to like the 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 canon and continuity of Star Trek, the history of the universe, that kind of thing. It just it just kind of like you know when you're a kid and I was watching this, so this kind of blows your mind. You don't think about it. You're like, oh, okay, cool. There's a another set and another set of actors and that wow this was a really big episode right uh when in reality it was the opposite it's like okay we have no money we have no time let's use this stock footage and uh and it just it really does work and i think they really they really lucked out with 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 that i think they did i agree they um they pulled a rabbit out of that hat and and it is funny i think it's it's a great point Uh, you do watch it and you do believe that it is 13 years earlier because of everything you just said. So they, I don't know why they picked that number uh, at the time, because, you know, there was no focus on the history or anything along those lines. It could have been. Yeah, I, it could, they could have said five. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, it doesn't say much for Mr. Spock that only went up one rank in 13 years. It's pretty lousy performance. <laughs> I, I'll have to study his evaluations as, as we move forward, because that's, that's a pretty that's sucky a record, point. if you ask me. But, I mean, he's he's talking like Harry Kim territory there, brother. You know? It's bad. <laughs> well, okay. So, you're right, because it, when TOS starts, or, you know, when the proper TOS starts, he is a lieutenant commander. That's right. People refer to him as such. And then at some point, we don't we don't get a uh, generation's uh, 
style promotion ceremony for him. But at some point, he does become a full commander. But yeah, wow. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna guess. My head cannon. He had literally just been promoted to lieutenant. But still, that's thirteen. <laughs> thirteen years. So I don't know, man. That's a great point, kid. I never thought about that before. I'm gonna say that he's just not motivated by rank. It's it's not. It wouldn't necessarily be completely logical to be to be motivated to jump up in rank. He he has the position that he has on the bridge, and he wants to be the science officer. And rank is just. It, it's like just a number, if that makes sense. It, you know, I can see that in my head. That's that's what yeah. I'm going to say. Well, I, I, I understand that logic. I get it. But um, in the service, mm -hmm. if you don't move up, you move out. Yeah. Because you're, you're a blocker, you know, usually. So it's it's just one of those things. You're, you're, your performance is defined by your ascension, right? That's what made Captain Kirk so famous is how fast he made Captain um, and you're right, there's probably a lack of, because there's no ego involved, you're right, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what his rank is, so I do get it, so I guess it works, it's just one of those things where, you know, he does eventually make captain, as, as we all know, and uh, he, he does do very well, and he is a senior officer, but I, I hear you, I, I that, that was just the, if they had said five, six, seven years, it would have been much more believable. I will say, in in the Navy, that it's it is one of the longest gaps. You you are a lieutenant. You could be a lieutenant for four or five six years before you make lieutenant commander. So that that jump there can take a while. Uh, and then then it's you know it's even harder to make uh, like from commander to captain. That's a mm -hmm. big big swing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it could be that that actually makes sense to me, Allie. Yeah. He's a lieutenant in twenty two fifty four. Let's say he becomes a lieutenant commander in twenty two sixty, and he becomes a full commander in twenty two sixty seven. I think that tracks. So, not bad. Speaking of some of the technology, Spock, Spock uses. I'm you know, thinking of him at being an officer here. I love that wi that that hand waving screen that he uses when they first get to the Talus system, right? I know that was so cool. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That is truly technology ahead of its time. Swipe right for science. <laughs> Swipe left for <laughs> falsity. <laughs> oh. Swipe right for science. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think we found the episode title there. Uh, but yeah, but see, that's a, that's a technology that like they literally. I, I mean, my cell phone's on this advanced, but but I started seeing commercials for one a couple of years ago. Like, oh, you at the pool and your hands are wet, and you want to answer your phone, you know, and you like swipe your hand over the screen, and it like, answers. I'm like, that is that again, Star Trek predicting technology. So I have a Samsung, and my phone does that. Okay. I can turn on the feature where I just have to take my whole hand and just go like this and wave it in front of my phone. It'll answer. I can, yeah. So it totally exists. It's there. It's a Vulcan thing. It is a Vulcan thing. It's a Vulcan thing. <laughs> we have it. I still have iPhones. I'm kind of like all out for Apple. So uh, maybe one day they'll they'll adopt that technology. I don't know. So it it, it is funny how all that used to evolve. Where um, Apple was was the cult and. You know, the people that had it were few, but they were awesome and everybody swore by it. And then, you know, once again, you, you live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> everybody <laughs> now is like, no, it's cool to have Samsung. And, oh, I'm not buying an Apple product. It, it's just funny how that, mm -hmm. that the world turns that way. It is, it is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing 
I can take a picture just by putting up my hand. So when I want to take a selfie, I just go like this. I don't even have to touch the camera button, and it'll take a picture. See, that, see that's very helpful, right? Because it's pushing the button, which moves your hand, which potentially can cause the picture to be out of focus. So well done, Samsung. So anyway. Well, this episode of Standard Orbit brought to you by <laughs> Samsung phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll expect a big check from you. But let's talk a little bit more about that technology, though. Yeah, I don't know why they just didn't keep it. I would have loved that. I also would have loved uh, if we'd kept the little uh, bendable uh, yes. 60s lamps, but with the screens, because then you could actually see the person you were talking to. I'm like, that's awesome. I like those. They were FaceTiming. Yeah, they were. They were. <laughs> they were. And you're absolutely right. They That technology, I don't know why that must have been tough for them to get that screen on screen, I guess, but... No, I, I agree because every station had it and you could just look at each other and, you know, I, I, I thought that was kind of cool too. So yeah, that, that was a miss that they got rid of that. They even kept that in where no man has gone before. It's even on the captain's chair still even then. And so I, I don't know why they just, they, they kept it that long. They repainted everything red, but they kept the goosenecks and they eventually got rid of them. I don't know. People might think it's dated. See, but I, that's the thing. I like like the retro future of Star Trek, right? The transistor punk I like that, and that's that's why I kind of have issues sometimes when we have this crazy technology for on Discovery, for example. It's it's like, do we have to all be Iron Man here? Right? That's that's my <laughs> that's my thing. I think they could have found a nice middle ground, but anyway, that's beside the point. I, I think it it is cool. It's like you know Tomorrowland and Disneyland, right? That like 1950s, 1960s idea of what the future is. There is something timeless about that, right? Because no matter how we keep predicting what the future is going to look like. The future's going to come, and we're going to be wrong. So we might as well just stick to, like, okay, this is what we thought it was going to be back then. And and it's just really cool technology. And yeah, but, but you know, I will say I did, like, the the new briefing room in the original series where they have, like, the, three, like the three-sided monitor in the center. Mm-hmm. That was cool because in the cage here, they're all just kind of sitting around with basically a, basically a TV set, just in Spock switching buttons, so. Uh, I'm with you, but I, I part company a little bit. I, I have no problem with the the updated technology and the new shows, it really doesn't bother me. What bothers me is everybody trying to make everything fit. That's what bothers me. Mm. So if you're using holograms and that's what we'll be using in the future, that's fine. But then they- Had to rip out the hollow emitters. (laughs) Stupid. You know, I was just like, really? You know, we're not going to use those because of this, this, and this. And so it fits back into canon. I was like, don't don't work so hard at it. Just, Just be your own show and have fun. Um, so I, I actually like um, seeing all the kind of new doodads because, I mean, you, you see Tony Stark doing stuff that's supposed to happen nowadays, you know, with the the, 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 the widescreen. So it's just like, yeah, just go with it. But um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I miss those little screens. Uh, I agree with you about the briefing room. The booze, uh, that, that didn't that didn't go away. So they, they kept the alcohol on board the <laughs> ship. So that was pretty good, you know. So they, they always have had that on ships for, <clears throat> quote, unquote, medicinal purposes. So at least at least that's consistent. I was just going to talk about that I liked the jackets. I, I It makes complete, utter sense that you would take a jacket on an away mission. Because you don't know what the planet's like if you've never been there before or there's no information about it. It could have major temperature fluctuations. You might get cold. You might need a jacket. Hello, Sulu. You might hey, need a jacket. Come on, Spock's brain, 72 <laughs> degrees. Let's go. They fixed the problem. Ken, that's the thing. The KJR uniforms didn't have the internal thermometer that they had. 
in season three TOS. So I, I give them, but it's yeah, it's like since when has this been a thing? Spock's brain, <laughs> like they all they pick up their sleeve and like type into it. Like what what are you talking about? But uh, the, the jackets are something, Haley. That they bring back in the motion picture again. How the cage kind of they if you if you just erase all of the original series, there's a nice straight line between the cage and the motion picture, really, uh, with their jackets. And then of course in the movies, Star Trek two, they have the the jackets and et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, jacket pockets, jackets, you know, I personally like it when it's cold so I can wear jackets. So I don't have to put stuff in my pants pockets, you know, cell phone, wallet, other things. But you have your tool belt. <laughs> no, I do not have a tool belt though. But that, see, that's cool though. It's like, I like how they had all these things. And, and, uh, and you see, you see where the phasers come from and the communicators and they're pulling them out instead of original series. They just kind of like, you know, and some of them, they, you literally hear the Velcro. <laughs> where they pull them off their uniform. So, One question I have. So the cannon that they used to blast at the uh, door, that was reused mm-hmm. later on, wasn't it? As something else? Because it looked oddly familiar, or am I just crazy? No, I don't think they reused it. But when I was a kid, I thought they took down the deflector dish of the Enterprise and put it on the planet. Because I was like, oh, well, that's that's what that is. And I don't know, for years I just thought this. And then I realized that oh, I guess that's not what they did. But does it to me? Am I crazy? Did it look like the deflector dish? It looks like it. Yeah, I, I guess they never put the two together like that just because of scale. But I hear what you're saying. They looked ex- mm-hmm. identical. Yeah. And I, I love when they're shooting the uh, they're shooting at the Talosian door. And number one's talking to the communicator the whole time. She's like increase power, right? And then at the very end, she like like looks up to the sky. She's like disengage. <laughs> 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 I just these are little things you catch when you watch it. I just caught that when I was watching it again. I was like, "What? She was doing so well talking to the communicator, and I think Mitchell Bear just forgot who she was talking to." So. Yeah, well, hey, you know, satellites today could have been able to pick that up, so it's okay. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of the story though, and uh, Robin Curtis was talking about Star Trek Three, and Christopher Lloyd did a similar thing, like, and and, and they're on Genesis, and the, and the Klingons call him, mm-hmm. and, and 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 like I think like the first take of the scene reaches his arms out to the like the sky and looks up he says beam me up <laughs> he just didn't understand how it worked but hey it's, it's early star trek they're figuring this stuff out uh one other thing i wanted to ask what do you guys think about i love the opening sequence we have the the black back starry background and we have the white uh blue font but then we come in through the top of mm-hmm. the ship mm-hmm. and i thought that was a really neat way to come into the bridge what do you guys think about that i agree I really yeah. enjoyed it. I, I think it. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. You, you know, the um, it was a good way to start it, and it gave you some sense of scale for how big the ship was. You know, so I I like that. I, I know they they copied that one or two times again in the series. Probably the same exact shot, just with the new cast. Well, well, see, Ken, you say you say that in the show they they in the original series they use that same stock shot, but they cut it right before you see the cast because they never reshot that like perspective of the oh, new they never did bridge okay. and the new yeah. cast yeah, they... now you you cut like like literally like a frame before you would have seen you know the bridge ah, dome they I cut it you. but they, they do use that shot a lot in the original series again you know you you like that big that big opening shot in in any show or new series you know they, they did it in tng to a degree um you know the, the the big reveal so to speak of the enterprise a little bit different um yeah it was mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty cool I, I liked it as well, I, and I especially like in the remastered version. Which I, look at me, guys, giving credit to the remastered version. Usually, I'm like original effects forever. Ah! But uh, <laughs> it was a really cool. Um, it was a really cool way they melded the shots, right? Because it was a composite shot. So what they did was they 
created like a, a CGI version of like all the they recreated the bridge and CGI and all the characters on that just for the few frames where it kind of goes through the ceiling. And they made in, in the original version it's just like a hole, you know, which which is we, we artistically interpret as like a dome. But they actually make the dome in the remastered version. You go through the you go through it. And then it, they transition from the CGI bridge and characters to the live action. I thought that was really cool, and it's a great it's a great way to introduce you to like here here's the bridge, here's where we are, here's a point of reference to where everything's going on. So because that's the most logical place to put your command center, right, Ken, at the top of your at top of your ship, where it's easily uh, hit by uh, enemy fire. <laughs> that's right. It it is kind of a strange thing to to put it there, but I guess it's a it's a ship of exploration, not of warzack. That's what I hear anyway. There, you go. there it is. We're, we're a humanitarian and peacekeeping armada. Yes, exactly. What about what about when they go to warp? What do you guys think about that? How it like fluctuates between like you can see the bridge, but then it looks like it's space, but then you can see them on the bridge. I kind of like it. It's different, but it's it's anyway. Thank you for bringing that up, Haley, because like immediately when they did that, I thought of like next gen and the pilot and Encounter Farpoint, where it's like. We're gonna play the theme song now when they when they separate the the saucer and the star drive section because it's like a new thing and like and I thought the same thing for here it start we're going to warp time warp factor seven right and it's like here's the theme song from the show guys <laughs> it just it just feels really random but I I laugh at I laugh at it now because it's just kind of funny to me but it, it's. I don't know, like it's like they all, in these pilots, they feel the need. Like, here's the time where we play the theme of the show, even though you already heard it in the opening credits. Here it is in the show. Yeah, it was dramatic. It was fine. I like it. I, I, I you know, that, obviously that sound effect we see a lot, but that that kind of watery thing that happens. I, I don't know. I, I it's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, this show, um, you know, for for a kickoff episode. I think they did a lot of things. They probably spent a little bit more money on things that they that they could afford to do later on, and maybe that's the reason some of these things changed. But man, you know, I, I thought it was clever. If it's hard to to put yourself into, you know, uh, 1965 and a black and white TV and watching this, and you know, because that's primarily how people were watching it. And, and I would have thought, you know, the first that opening shot, the different effects, the things they were doing with the screen, even the laser effects, all of it, um, I think would have been pretty cutting edge. I mean, as much as we're seeing Discovery now, and we're used to those effects to a degree, you know, you're almost callous to it just because of what computers can do. Man, I thought they, they, they pulled it off well. Yeah, can you say laser effects? I also like the hand lasers, as they call them in this episode, uh, which and it's really reused in More Nomad has gone before, and... In the original series of The Man Trap, where Dr. Crater has an older phaser, it's one of these. So that's good continuity, I think. Yeah, yeah. I like that Pike has that, like, giant TV <laughs> in his quarters. Yes. I think that's – it's so awesome. <laughs> it's great. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of the television that we had. My parents had one of those old-style TVs. It had, like, the wood on the sides. The thing weighed, like, mm-hmm. a crap ton it actually had the glass that you could unscrew and clean and fold down and then the tv monitor screen was back behind it we didn't ever want to touch it even when it was off oh my gosh i loved it (laughs) my parents sold their house three years ago they still had that tv it still worked that's awesome yeah no i captain pike is obviously a collector of antiques since that's from like the 1930s or something but i think my grandparents had a similar tv so well and he had books yeah, books. Yeah, totally. He had actual books on his shelf. He had a baseball and, hat and things like that. <laughs> yep. So he had a lot of uh, classic stuff there. Yep. One thing him and Kirk had in common, I guess. 
<laughs> so, you know, we've been talking a lot about, like, the aesthetics and kind of having some fun with, like, you know, the, the differences between that and the original series. But, you know, wrapping us up here, I do want to say, like, this, this, this episode does have a lot of great messages. You know, I mean, really, again, like, in true Star Trek sense, it has something to say. Like, the conversation between Boyce and Pike, like, you either face life or you wither away by turning away from it. Like, these are great, like, life lessons. And really, ultimately... Uh, this is like Roddenberry's kind of his critique of like the television industry and entertainment itself. Because you think about what the Telosians say, they say, yeah, well, they just withered away because they, they forgot, you know, the advances of their ancestors and just kept reliving things over and over, you know, of other people living vicariously through these other people, through their thoughts. And it's like, you're like, oh man, I'm sitting here watching T. I'm watching, sitting here watching Star Trek for the hundredth time. Is this me? It, it makes you think about like, yeah, you know what? It, this has its place, but also go out there and live life as well uh like because because that that is a, it's part of the human experience and that's ultimately why pike and the humans are not suitable to fit the telosians uh, plans and experiment it is really um quite a powerful episode when you take the message of it uh this you know you can choose to live in a life of illusion and and live what you think you're living or you can actually go out and and choose life and make choices and some of them might be hard you know, again, we, we see Pike and he's not sure he wants to be captain anymore. And he's got to make this hard choice at the end. Does he stay on the planet with Vina or does he leave? And and he makes that, that tough choice because he realizes staying there would just mean that he's not actually living a life. He's just living what he thinks he's living and it's not real. And choosing that reality versus, you know what someone else is telling you is reality is is quite a tough choice for some people yeah it's it's funny when you think about it the uh the truth <laughs> the truth of the matter is it was a failed uh pilot right it was a failed pilot and this failed pilot wound up being a first season very well liked episode it wound up spawning an entire season of a new star trek show 54 years later which is just incredible when you think about it. That character has now been played by Captain Pike. This is the third actor now we have playing this character, right? So it, you know, you, you know, he had a um, a way about him, a legacy. All of that is amazing to me. And you had a plot line. You had a plot line that uh, was way before its time. You know, I mean, it, it's it's you know, it has little little feeders there to the matrix in a way, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, society's living in a complete, you know, virtual reality. And it had a message that I think is very relevant for today. When you look at the, the epidemic that we have, and there's no other word for it because it's been confirmed by the CDC, you know, with people being addicted to video games. So they are living in virtual reality. I mean, they are not living their lives anymore. They're not experienced life the, the way people used to experience by going out, touching, doing things, being involved, being engaged, and I'm not. I'm not saying that that's everywhere, but to me, that that, that episode just, man, you know, it's uh, it's incredible. I, I guess I can only say only Star Trek, right? Only Star Trek. That's absolutely right, Ken. Like the the legacy that this that this pilot has is is crazy to think about, and uh, and I, I can't say any better than you did. So well said, sir. I I completely agree. I I will say in closing, this is how much this episode uh, influenced so many things. And I didn't know this. So um, the sound that the blue plant makes is the sound on the planets in season one and two. So there you have it. I mean, this left such an incredible mark 
that yeah we're, we're talking about it 50 some odd years later we're on our seventh iteration you know we've had 13 films it, it's incredible we've all chosen to live both right i think we live in this in this world and we want this world of star trek but we've also all chosen to live in reality as well there you have it so i encourage you all if you haven't revisited the cage recently check it out it is a different experience watching it on its own uh than watching it in the framing device of the menagerie uh you think well i already saw the menagerie no it's, it's very different than when you're, you're you're not sitting there watching it with kirk and spock like you are in that episode it's just you're watching it on its own uh, and so I would recommend that and just check it out because it's pure Roddenberry, right? This is the first thing he wrote for Star Trek. This was his ideal Star Trek. Uh, and so here it is. And it stands the test of time all these years later. So it's been fun talking about the cage this week on Standard Orbit. But here's a look at what else is going on elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Warp 5. Well, and I feel like a side quest could be finding more spheres and gathering intelligence from each one. And each one has like a different way you have to get into them and a different thing you have to collect. Right, or yeah, or they're, they're cloaked differently. Yeah. Or, each one, has, each yeah, one is I, in, individual. Earl Grey. Because like the DNA transformation, what? where's the DNA coming from that's being transformed? You know... I, it's like I a mean, replicator. Yeah, and I think that again, <laughs> no. the, the the yeah, but I mean again, the explanation that it's an advanced Genesis device kind of makes me buy mm, it more. Okay, yeah. But it, it just felt a little weird. The DNA thing. It just look. It looks like some. Hey, we need. Can somebody just throw some leaves on the bridge? You know, but you know, I think it's a really cool concept. The the snakes in the <laughs> in the uh, torpedo. The torpedo. I I. For some, it, at that moment, I thought this is the Halloween three of Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> to the journey. That's that's a really good point, Suzanne. We need to clarify because we're, when we're talking about Chakotay and Seven, some of the best romantic scenes are not actually with Chakotay; they're with hologram Chakotay. Yes, I would like to meet hologram Chakotay. He seems nice. You want to date with holographic <laughs> Chakotay? Okay. <laughs> if I had a holodeck, you know, I'd be programming that in right now. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Saru finally realizes at some point he's seeing its language in ultraviolet light. Basically, Morse code. I don't know why they don't say that wording. Oh, you thought yet. Morse code? Because I was yes. thinking binary. I, that makes sense, yeah. too. But isn't binary kind of a version of Morse code? Because Morse, Morse code is a type of binary language. Because all it is is beeps and not beeps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, 
into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs... You can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag Trek Tuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.